Hi, and welcome to Zed Games. Recorded live at 4 Triple Z Studios in Brisbane and broadcast nationally over the community radio network, Zed Games brings you the latest gaming news, reviews, and interviews from across Australia and around the world. You are listening to a very special episode of Zed Games, Australia's most beloved gaming radio show, uh, with Razor. Hey. Miss Kenny Payne. Hi. Jody McGregor. Hello. And I am Lee. Uh, and this episode, we will be begging you for money. So the make big takeaway for today is we don't have any money. We need money. Please subscribe to the station or we will have to, I don't know, stop, I guess. I have to ask again. Yes. Yes. Give us money. Yes. What Lee is trying to get at <laughs> is that it's Radiothon. As you've no doubt heard if you've been tuned to 4ZZZ, now, we're here to uh, entice you to subscribe and list Z Games as your favorite program when you do so. Which, like, it is, obviously. Absolutely. So easy. And in order for us to further encourage you, we have some prizes of our own, of the gaming-related nature, to give away. Oh. So a little later on, we're going to be uh, unveiling our prize pool. Oh, I exciting. love when we unveil a prize pool. I love it too. Yeah, <laughs> this year it is a literal pool filled with prizes. Yeah. The winner will get to dive in and pick what they want. Yes, I'll look into that. Uh, we also have a review of Pac-Man Two Fifty Six. It's a mobile game that just came out from Hipster Whale. Hipster Whale, the makers of Crossy Road. That's right. It's very exciting. Uh, Lee and I have also been playing King's Quest, the first episode of the sequel to the classic point-and-click adventure game from yes. yesteryear. Mm-hmm. And we'll h- be hearing about the history and culture of pinball. That's tying in with our retro theme for this week's uh, episode of Zed Games, being the Radiothon theme is... Old. Bucket old. List. No. <laughs> Bucket <laughs> list. not old. Yeah. <laughs> Very exciting. But let's kick this episode off with the Week in Gaming News headlines. Mr. Lee. The first big like local announcement is the fact that Pretty Great, a dream team, one could say, of Australian devs, uh, ex-half-prick designer, uh, art lead, and media guy, uh, have announced their first game, Landsliders. We don't know too much about it. There's a YouTube video of it that exists, but the big innovation seems to be that uh, you are moving the earth around underneath your character they stay where they they are you're dragging the the world around beneath them and solving puzzles in that fashion interesting yes uh so this is the one that crossy road um developer uh hipster whale actually contributed i think half a million dollars toward Mm. the uh the, the funding of this game so um that'll be interesting to see what happens with that yes is x half brick dev like the australian equivalent of x bioshock dev Maybe, except we've got a bunch of those as well well, since Irrational was here. X-Bioshock 2 dev is the Australian equivalent. I guess, I guess. Um, Maybe. (laughs) There certainly are a lot of them these Mm, days. That's what I mean. Yes, okay. Good, good. Uh, Indie developer Brianna Wu tweeted an image this morning um, calling for developers to answer a casting call for a Shark Tank-like TV show for game development. We don't know terribly much about it just that uh, you it's going to be a TV show where if you are in the Americas and you have a game design and a team and you wish to be humiliated on television uh, you should 
be on this TV show. Can I just ask, is it like an actual shark tank, a tank with water and sharks, or is it like the shark tank show that we have now where you're up against lots of important rich people asking for money to get your project started? The latter. Which oh, makes more sense. That just sucks. I, I know. <laughs> it would be much better to see, like, game devs. Fight for it in a damn shark tank. Yes. Worth it. Mm. No? Just me? Yeah. Just no. me. Unfortunately, <laughs> no. I think a lot of people who go on Shark Tank, though, would probably prefer to actually encounter real sharks rather than the judging panel. Yeah. Mm. But, uh, yeah, less stress sweat. A little bit. No one knows at the very least. <laughs> yeah. uh, and finally, a fan has managed to get the original voice actor who plays Ezio Auditore, Auditore. di Frenzi oh, from yes. the Assassin's Creed games and Candy's fake favorite. boyfriend. Or, or that. No, just my favourite <laughs> character of all time. Uh, the character was recently featured in the Assassin's Creed Chronicles China game, which is an Assassin's Creed spin-off, but they didn't get the original voice actor to do it. They got some chump who was apparently bad. He growled. Yeah. A lot. Did he? Apparently. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's Uh. what's disappointing about his voice acting. Just Uh. lots of growling and mumbling. Uh. Yeah. That's not Not good for that character. Not sexy at all. Definitely not. Uh, So, yeah, a fan just got the guy and asked him to re-record all of the lines in his home studio and... He did, and now, if you'd like, you can download this. And it's been released as a, a, a neat thing that, that fits in with the fiction of the Assassin's Creed games as well, mm. in that this is uh, in, in the same way that uh, in the Assassin's Creed games there's a game dev company called Abstergo that releases their, uh, their own versions of the Assassin's Creed yes. stories. Uh, so this is a hacker who has found out what Ezio really sounded like. So this is Clever. it's a smear campaign by Abstergo to make Ezio seem less cool. Interesting. Yeah. Mm. Either way, that voice actor, got to say, I love him even more now. Just imagine <laughs> just recording your, in your own home studio to help out. Just what a guy. Uh, Ezio, if you're listening, <laughs> please call in and we will provide you with Candy's contact details. No, no. that would be silly. <laughs> Is that all you got, Lee? That's all I got. All uh, right, thank great. you very much, <laughs> Lee. And now we've all been playing a new mobile game called Pac-Man 256. Now, Jody, what is the 256 in reference to? Uh, it's a reference to a glitch that occurred in the original Pac-Man arcade game where if you made it all the way to level 256, a strange bug would occur and half of the maze you were running around eating pellets in would just become this jumble of weirdly colored letters and numbers and you would never be able to progress past that level no yeah. matter how good you were. So this, oh. is, this is Hipster Whale, the creators of Crossy Road, uh, taking their style of of endless progress game and applying it here and so you are playing as pac-man being pursued by this wave of glitch nonsense right yeah it's like this rolling wall of multicolored artifacts and uh jumbled stuff that chases you through an endless version of the the pac-man maze full of pellets and fruits and ghosts as we all know yes uh razor you've been playing it yeah where'd you land where did I land? I'm no good at Pac-Man, never have been, Ugh. probably never will be. Oh, who are you? I don't know. Get out. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, how- see, I'm good. Is that what we're talking about, scores? I was just playing again. 
So I, just, <laughs> I think we're, we're, we're paying attention because you're so good at it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just got some kind of beam, and that was new. I had oh, the beam that shoots out of your face? Yeah, yeah. that was Big awesome. I was trying to work yeah. out what it was. Mm. Oh, the numbers are coming. The numbers are coming. So, yeah, there are power-ups that you can collect in, mm. in Pac-Man 256, which is one of the things that's different about it. Well, you could always pick up the power pill. Yeah. You could always oh, get yeah. the power pellets, that's true, which would turn the ghosts blue so that you could eat them. But you now can still do that are... here. Yes. yes. Yeah. But uh, there's more power-ups, more powerful. There are more power-ups. Yeah. Like more laser that shoots out of your face or the thing that slows down, like freezes, ghosts, and uh, there's a whole bunch of them. You yeah. unlock the more you play. Yes, as you play and collect dots, you earn credits towards unlocking uh, new power-ups, and then you also earn additional side credits which you use to level up those powers. So you can only take, I think, four or three power-ups along with you, so you then have to pick the best combination that suits you. At the moment, I've got growth and the bomb and the laser beam because that laser beam is amazing, particularly for that goddamn pink ghost. Oh, yeah, the pink ghost is a jerk. Yeah. I don't catch that one much, pinky. Yeah. I seem to get I get inky a lot. That's the little blue one. I don't know why. Uh, that, I don't know why actually. I find that really strange. That they it's, they, they he's just have, always in the way of my mouth. They all have very distinct um, AI patterns in this yeah. game. More in, so, in the, more in the original, they had slightly different AI, but now there's more of them, and mm. they're all completely different. Yeah. Yeah, like Pinky just sits and waits. So does Spunky the grey one. Yeah, because yeah. Spunky's, Spunky's asleep. asleep. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, you wouldn't move too much then. Yeah, but then like there's the, the orange one and the blue one are kind of dumb. The orange one just decides to go away. Clyde. Clyde is an idiot. <laughs> it's just, Bless him. I feel like he was always going to be labelled as the idiot when you got Blinky, Pinky, Spunky, Inky, Funky, Clyde. Yeah. <laughs> like... He was just left on the end there. Yeah, so listener, if you haven't picked up on it yet, uh, this game is kind of, like, it, it is charming. Hmm. It's it's full of personality. And uh, colour. And colour. And it's really adopted that uh, isometric vector style of art hmm. that uh, Crossy Road is famous for. But has some issues, right? Some things that yeah. make it difficult to enjoy as a Pac-Man game, which required a lot of... that was was precision. You were yeah. going through a maze while things were after you. You had to be able to make quick decisions about where you were going. You had to time those corner turns yeah. perfectly so that you would actually turn the tiny little corner and go and collect more dots. But, yeah, this one, it just it's a little slow. And then I find my poor little Pac-Man just keeps doing the left and right thing because I'm trying to get him to move back and then it catches up a split second later and then he goes the other direction again. And then I just sit there going left and right, left and right, like a dog trying to chase his tail. And I just... I get nowhere, and then the numbers turn up, and I, that's the end of it. Mm. So that's a shame for me. Yeah. yeah. So it, it has, uh, like, you flick to determine which direction you're going to go in, but yes, because sorry. the whole thing has an isometric view. Uh, Ray, you were saying you weren't even sure whether you had to flick in the direction of the board or in the, the actual cardinal yeah. direction. Well, because it's not centered. Like you said, mm. it's mm. isometric. I wasn't sure if I pushed up, if I wanted to go up, or if I had to push in the slightly off mm. to the off-center direction that I was actually going in. And I'm still not sure what I should be pushing. And oh, that's yeah, a good a few, point. A few times I was like, okay, uh, you know, that cost me my yeah. life. Yeah. I mean, the whole purpose of the game is that you want to get a an uninterrupted string of dots mm. that you've picked up, pellets along the way. And, uh, you know, there are gaps and there are optimal ways through this endless maze. Mm. And far too often I've been on a really hot streak and then 
Pac-Man's just gone in the different direction to the one that I was hoping that he would go in, you know, when I asked him to go in a direction and ruined my score. I know. Pac-Man. Because it really should be about you, your reflexes, and the ghosts. Yeah. And when you introduce, like, lag or mistakes into that, it's not really fair. Yeah. 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 I mean, the laser certainly helps even the playing field, as lasers often do. I find when I have the laser shooting out of my face, though, I get cocky and I just like chase ghosts down and then it runs out. That's what oh, I yeah. just did. Right before I run into the run dumb into the blue ghost. ghost yeah. Yeah. Like, but that's out, the, I died. That's the classic Pac-Man story, though, isn't yeah. it? Being cocky. Oh, yeah. yeah, the beam was shooting out of, out of my power. face and then I got eaten yeah. by a ghost. Always that's think you can go faster. Yep. 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 My score's okay. Okay. 1,169. Yeah. That's all right. I thought that was pretty damn good. No, my uh, highest I'm sure it's better than mine. My I highest don't even know chain. what my highest score is because oh. I find myself not wanting to play long enough. My to chain get of my dots score. is 69, but I've eaten 714 in total. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. There is okay. controller support for the game. So if you have a Bluetooth controller, you can uh, use it. And I think most of the problems we've been talking about with the control scheme might be alleviated there. Yeah. But I, I don't know anyone who uses a Bluetooth no, I've never controller for mobile. Um, no. No, I'm just sitting here using it on my phone in quiet mm. times, not around the office. That's <laughs> the bathroom. Wrong. With the bathroom. <laughs> no, that's even more wrong. So but, it is a yeah. free-to-play game from yeah. both the, uh, the App Store and the Google Play Store. Mm-hmm. But if you love the game and you don't want to be bound by the credit system, uh, you can purchase mm. the game outright for around $9. Yeah, that's the other thing. There are credits which regenerate. Like, it actually... I'm a massive fan of Pac-Man and will mm. just keep playing it forever, except this is like, no, nah, you cannot play Pac-Man anymore. Go away, Lee. Go do something else. Well, the weird thing is, you can... Even if you have credits to spend, you can only spend one when you die to pick up where you left off and continue playing. Yeah. Uh, no matter how many credits you have, if you die that second time, you still get booted back to the starting screen and have to watch the intro and listen to the music and then yeah, tap your way yeah, into yeah. the game again, which I find really off-putting. Like, yep. I like to die and then go straight back into the That's game. It. That's it. I also don't see the point of that. Playing. Yeah, I don't see the point of that because if it's keeping your score and it's you're there as it's reminding you of all the great achievements you've got... Why then go right back to the start and be shown how to swipe the screen again? And I don't know. I don't see the. That's I don't see I, the. Point. I think that's just like amateur amateur hour in like mobile design. Maybe mm. that's that's the thing. Like mm. I want to get right back into playing, and mm. it's putting weird roadblocks in the way. Mm. Yeah. I I wish I loved this as much as I love Crossy Road because I love Crossy Road. When I close my eyes, I see Crossy Road. Uh, (laughs) And the idea of combining that with Pac-Man is like two favorite flavors coming together. And yet somehow... the the mark. Yeah, yeah. The things that are great about Crossy Road have been applied here in a way that don't always necessarily make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Gotcha. We've been talking about Pac-Man 256, which is a mobile game, available now. 1975. It was the year Triple Z first went to air as Australia's first FM community radio station. The first song broadcast was Won't Get Fooled Again by The Who. 1975 also marks the release of Tommy, the film based on The Who's rock opera of the same name that told the story of a deaf, mute and blind kid who played a mean pinball. Before Space Invaders arrived in 1978 and brought with it the golden age of arcade gaming, pinball was the amusement of choice for many a youngster. 
Pinball actually has its origins in a 19th century game called Bagatelle, which is itself derived from billiards. Last weekend, I sat down with Z announcer Riff Randall and former Z host Shell McIntyre at the Brisbane Masters IFPA Pinball Tournament for a chat about the history and culture of pinball. Bagatelle was around in the early 19th century and then improvements in Bagatelle came along which is early pinball machines basically which meant you'd actually have pins, a tilted thing where you shoot the, the ball up but there were no flippers on it. Flippers came along in 1947. Okay. That's when the original sort of pinball machine was a Humpty Dumpty Gottlieb machine where they actually put uh, flippers on the side of improvements of Bagatelle and that was that's kind of modern pinball as we know it. Without the flippers, it was pretty much just a matter of, of luck, of just using the plunger to get the silver ball to come down and to basically wind up in pins. And see, guys used to move the machines about because that then could alter where the ball went, which is where the whole tilt feature came into play. So pinball itself was quite popular in the 30s in the Great Depression, but of course once World War II came along, all the manufacturers had to sort of stop and make armaments and all sort of jazz. Because of course um, there were German manufacturers of pinball machines as well, I believe Bally's. So there's, uh, it affected the American manufacturers and the German manufacturers. But after post-World War II it uh, became popular again because they could go back to making pinball machines. Yeah, and 1947 of course being the year that, that yeah, that basically they put the flippers on, that's a, that's a massive improvement. That's like light years in, in the evolution of the game. In about 1976 was when they first started using uh, microchips and circuit boards in pinball. Prior to that they were all electromechanical, so it's like digital versus analogue. And what had happened is that because it was analogue previously, the machine couldn't keep up with the amount of, because you had a lot of more bumper flippers and slingshots and all sort of jazz, so the actual scoring couldn't keep up with what was going on with, in, on the playboard. So when they brought out digital scoring, that could easily keep a track of everything that was happening on the playboard. Prior to that in 1973, Pong was introduced and that was the first sort of commercial video game. And so it, it contributed to uh, that, that mid to late 70s era of basically video games just taking over the world and a bit of a starting the demise for the, the original sort of 70s pinball gaming. So it helped pinball gaming in the one sense, and on this other hand it also contributed to its demise. In 84 was when a lot of the pinball manufacturers kind of just closed their doors. I think Space Invaders introduced about 1977 and that was a massive thing. By 1979 they'd put out Player One with the single Space Invaders and all that sort of stuff. Forced national coin shortage in Japan, all that sort of jazz. So it was uh, quite a large uh, impact on, the, I guess, the pinball gaming. It was gaming. a big impact on me actually because I remember when the, the local kind of, I think it was a fish and chip shop, had pinball machines for ages and then suddenly the pinball machines were gone, it was a damn Space Invaders machine. <laughs> yeah. And you know, what could we do? That was just about it in town really at the time. But a lot of places also still had a pinball machine and a an arcade machine sort of thing. Yeah. And also in the early 80s, home consoles had been invented as well. Oh, there, there so we the, Atari, the Atari 2600 was a massive uh, thing. It, it was kind of like the internet nowadays, you know, kids can either go out and see bands or they can stay at home and watch it on their computers and so I think with with gaming what had happened pinball to Space Invaders to then like the, the the home console I think was the what really did do, do damage to both pinball and arcade games as such and arcades themselves I remember being here in Brisbane and that was when because I was born in 73 so like when I was about six or seven I was obsessed with video games it was just you know you couldn't do it enough to get to the local store and get your 20 cent pieces and but yeah I was lucky enough to get an Atari 26 as a kid and that was big that was big time you know like you'd invite your mates over and it was it was on for young and old but I still played arcade games as well at the same time so and I do know that like even in the 
mid to late 80s in Brisbane itself, um, there were still a couple of good time, like time zone was still around. All the games were 20 cents. A lot of the nightclubs yeah. had pinball machines. Sight yeah. down the valley had like three machines going. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you know what? That's because pokies weren't introduced. Pokies were outlawed until 1992 in Brisbane. So I assume that probably contributed to all the venues having pinball and poker, uh, pinball and arcade machines once pokies were introduced because of course you make a shitload more money off poker machines. But, but also two things were stepping up, like clubs were trying to introduce more things, more things for people to play with. It was the start of that era of yeah. let's have everything. Can I ask each of you guys which particular machines you have the fondest memories of? Oh man, see I, I sort of dipped into pinball maybe three times, like in the 70s I was pretty young, getting busted at the corner store as a little girl, playing pinball with the big blokes, you know, and I was just there for the game. Yeah, back at that time, Matahari, Lost World, it was, you know, that were great machines to play, I still like to play those machines. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, through the 90s, clubbing was great in Brisbane. A lot of machines around. Fishtails was great. Fishtails. I, used, I used to play mousing around. Fishtails would be mine, you mentioned. Oh. When I was, I uh, left Brisbane and wound up in Sydney in the mid to late 90s. And we used to drink at the Excelsior, um, which is where Radio Birdman played their first gig. And there was a machine there called Fishtails, and that fucking machine rules. What do you guys think it is about the game of pinball that has contributed to its enduring legacy? It's, uh, it's the classic man versus machine, but when you're playing video games, it's, there's a set pattern. When you're playing Galaga or Space Invaders, it's always a set pattern. With pinball, anything could happen. You can have a fantastic, you can have your best game on, the, on one machine, a machine that you love, and then you can have your worst game. It's just, there's, it's completely unpredictable, and you've, there's an element of skill, there's an element of luck. I don't know, it's kind of got everything. Culturally speaking, has there ever been a negative association with people who play pinball? Oh, hell yeah. Greasers and things like that, you know, hanging around, you know, hanging around um, shops, drinking their sodas or whatever. They knew how to party, you know. So, yeah, I think there was that element, especially, like, um, I know that as a young girl, my parents really didn't even let me go to those places. Like, even at Roochidor, I used to have to sneak in there. I get busted there too, you know, so, you know, really I didn't get in that much trouble so I figured they must have realised that I was into it and I was going to keep doing it, so. But yeah, they were pretty seedy places, you know, uh, delinquents hanging around, you know. That's what they say about bimball delinquent youth. The tilting aspect. Is that round upon, or was it once acceptable to tilt? What's the deal there? It depends on the player. Um, I know that the real good players they do like to tilt a lot um, and do get a lot I out of their tilting. They like to tilt, but I think there's a lot in pinball where you're actually kind of nudging the machine to keep the ball in play because that's the aim of the game, you know. So, and as a result of that nudging and pushing and you know trying to save balls, yeah, you can tilt and you can adjust the tilt settings. You know, so some people will take them off, go hard, you know. Yeah. yeah. Ray and Lee, you guys have both been playing a, uh, a new game in the King's Quest series, which it's been a while, right? The, the original point-and-click King's Quest games, I remember playing a couple of those back in the 1990s. Yeah, and they were older than that by far as well. Yeah. The original one was basically a demo for a text parser that kind of had a video game in it, mm -hmm. which is why it wasn't a very good video game, but it was okay as a text parser, provided that you didn't want to have to use it to like defeat a dragon or anything, because then you would never figure out the combination of commands to do that. Uh, this one has nothing to do with text passes, though. This is a, a modern reimagining of the story. Uh, it's not a direct sequel? 
No, no. It's uh, this is a reimagining of the original series as a whole. Each episode is going to be told in between the uh, the original classic nine games. I believe there were nine. So, so you're not even a king yet. Well, Graham's not a king yet. He's just some dude. That's right. Well, there's a there's a framing sequence where you are in fact old King Graham, as played by beloved Christopher Lloyd. Uh, is telling his granddaughter the story of how he became a knight in the first place before he became king of the kingdom of Daventry. And uh, so while you're doing stuff, Christopher Lloyd will be narrating over the top and sometimes he'll be having conversations with his granddaughter about the particular approach that he's taken to solving the puzzles. So the setup's kind of like The Princess Bride? Yeah, quite a bit, actually, except with the ages reversed and the yeah. participants. And there's even a, uh, a voice actor from The Princess Bride. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the little tiny guy who does the... the, the <laughs> The poison, the poison thing. thing. Yeah. And there's some allusions to his character uh, in the, the first episode. Um, so this one plays out uh, a little bit like a combination of what we think of the adventure game now, like the tell, Telltale-style Walking Dead games, um, but with more of the, the walking around, looking at stuff and picking up things that you would have had in a more traditional adventure game. Ray, how did you find it? I really like the take on it. Yeah. I think that there's a bunch of people out there that play the Telltale games that are out now and are a bit disappointed that they've kind of discarded the entire point-and-click aspect of it to focus on more of a a narrative-driven experience. And I think that those people will find something to enjoy here. Mm. It's about as well as you can do the point-and-click adventure in a modern setting, I feel. Yeah. It is frustrating in some parts because you need the right item to put in the right keyhole, etc., etc., but largely it, it works very well. Yeah, I find that the puzzles themselves are pretty sensible. It's just that you often don't get enough direction in the middle of the game as to whether you're doing the right thing or even what you should be doing. Uh-huh. So once you know what you should be doing, it makes sense what what things you need to do and how you need to track those bits down. Um, but when it when it opens up after the first, the first two chapters are uh, quite a linear affair and then it, it Sort of, it, it, it opens up and gets quite expansive. You've got a lot of territory that you can you can traverse. Um, it's good in a way because, as a counter argument to the way that, say, something like uh, A Wolf Among Us, some of the the middle chapters to that were like a sequence of conversations and cutscenes, yeah. and then you know two hours of that, and you were done with a game. This is big and lets you take your time and you can just stroll around a very lovely looking place trying to solve puzzles. Cool. Mm. And it looks amazing as well. Yeah. The animation, the art style, they've really spared no expense here. And um, just colourful, like the world hits you. is just a beautiful place that you just want to spend time. Yeah, the artists have taken a kind of uh, an ink and paint art style so you do get to see a lot of like line work in the textures of things Um, it works on the characters really really well some of the landscapes are a bit uh, lo-fi but yeah the animations you were saying are a real highlight here the characters in particular when they're talking to you their idle animations just the incidental things that they do they're just so alive Uh, and again seemingly is a a counterpoint to the, the Telltale games which really have been not spending as much of their their money on on animating their characters as mm. maybe they could. You know, they have a lot of money. Telltale, mm. yeah. Make your guys move around a bit. 
Like these things are just lively and and fantastic. It sometimes it looks like an animated film. It's just really nice. I also really appreciated the mini games along the way. It's not like you settle into a rhythm or a formula of a point-and-click adventure, like all of a sudden you'll be in a race or there'll be a, a chess-like game for you to do or there'll be some sort of tiny activity to divert your attention from the main quest, and they're all varied and quite fun. Yeah, and they all make sense in the context as well. Um, even the there are quick-time events, but they're pretty sparse and they actually make sense in the context of what you're doing as well, which is so rare. Like, it's a quick time event that I don't hate because the commands are sensible and, like, they're, they're easy to solve. Yeah. Um, amazing. A I'm, thousand I'm thumbs up. I'm glad the developers that. seem to have learned this lesson. I was just playing the latest episode of Tales from the Borderlands the other night, and it also has, like, amazing quick time events where the controls, like, all the inputs make sense. And uh. Uh, it's, it's, like... You've been doing these things for about five years, maybe ten years. You finally figured them out. Well done, video games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm. What do you think of Christopher Lloyd? I love Christopher Lloyd. Um, he, I'm glad to see him in a video game. You it's wish, so good. You wish he was your granddad? I do. Yeah? With respect to my real granddad. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. I mean, I haven't heard of What has Christopher Lloyd done recently? Uh, he did the Back to the Future video game. Okay. The Telltale. Yeah, he doesn't do much, and it's really cool to see him here. Mm. Yeah, if you're a Christopher Lloyd fan, this is a joy as well because he's in a really, uh, he's a in a sort of grandfatherly role, and he's he's telling you a story, and it feels really good, especially if you're a Christopher Lloyd fan like me, or if you actually are Christopher Lloyd's grandchild, <laughs> and you've never been in this situation before. Yeah, and the rest of the voice cast, there's a few biggish names in there as well, like uh, the voice of. SpongeBob SquarePants has a kind of little cameo as a merchant. Tom Kenny is in everything. Yeah. Is it obvious? Yeah, it's like, Tom does Kenny. It sound like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that helps drive the story through. I really appreciated it. Uh, so that's the first episode of five that yes. are coming out, Lee. Yeah, and if you get the bundle, there's an epilogue as well that will be made available at some point. Yeah. So uh, what we do with these episodic games is we'll review the first one as we have just then and we'll come back at the conclusion of the series to give us to give you guys uh, our closing remarks there hmm. but uh, yeah so far really pleased with this like surprisingly impressed with what they're doing and I feel like they're carving out their own space within the the modern adventure game genre yeah and it was a bit lengthier than I thought too a bit media oh yeah um, a couple of hours in, I was like, surely this is it right but a no it kept hours. going oh yeah, yeah. It, you could probably do this in like seven hours would be like you'd that's probably a slow go really but there's so much stuff in there yeah yeah wow. it's a lot of game yeah. yeah that is yeah actually that really surprised me i didn't think you would say that mm. yeah so i don't think you'll be disappointed if you're a whether you're a newcomer or a uh, returning fan of the king's quest series i think this will hit all the right notes for you hmm. all right see you guys later bye bye, bye.